This is The Guardian. Today, how one Ukrainian family have escaped the war and resettled with their host family in Britain. My name is Olga Krasovska. I live in Ukrainian, uh, Kyiv reg- region, uh, a little village, uh, Semipolki. Before the war began, life was going pretty well for Olga Krasovska and her family. I live with my husband, uh, with my uh, three uh, sons, uh, Sviatoslav, Lyubomir, and Loki. They live together in a village in the countryside, roughly between Kyiv and the Belarusian border. Olga had found her dream job. I have a little farm. Uh, I have goats. 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 Goats, yeah. And I make cheese. But on the 24th of February, everything changed. We wake up in in night, bomb, in first day war, in neighboring village, um, calm Russian tanks, many kill uh, people. It's very, very. Were you scared that you weren't going to be able to get out with your kids safely? Uh, yes, yes, uh, because maybe I don't have uh, little children. I stayed in home because I have girls, uh, my farm, uh, I have cats, I have dog, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, uh, my boys in first. Yeah, come first. Come first. Yeah, um, um, I want to uh, uh, okay. I want my boys to be safe. Okay. I want my boys to be safe. Yeah. That night. Olga and her family decided that, as painful as it would be, they had to go. They packed up and left home, leaving their whole lives behind them. Just a small part of the 12 million Ukrainians who have done the same since the war began. More than a quarter of the entire population of the country. Olga already spoke a little English. So did her kids. And the UK seemed like somewhere they could try and make a life for themselves until the war ended. And after a slow start, the government launched two schemes allowing limited numbers of Ukrainian refugees to resettle in the UK. But how have they been faring? From The Guardian, I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, the story of refugees who escaped Ukraine and are trying to make a new life in Britain. The 
As soon as Olga and her family made up their minds to leave home, the excruciating decisions began. Like leaving behind her livelihood, all of her animals, and giving them away to neighbors who had decided to stay on in their village. My farm is not very big, 30 animals. Oh, wow. Yes, uh, when war started, my husband present these animals, people who live in village. When we left the village, the, my village, uh, we have bottled water <laughs> and uh, this uh, many uh, warm clothes. Olga had a full tank of petrol in the new car that they just bought on credit. So they drove west in the direction of relative safety. The road was full of cars, other families doing the same. It took 15 hours to get to her mum's house in Western Ukraine. And when she got there, a lot of her extended family were already taking shelter too. In first months, I live in my mom's uh, house uh, in Kamenitspodilsky. Um, uh, I, but <laughs> um, I, with my boys, my husband, uh, and uh, my uh, five brothers. The two brothers have a uh, girlfriend. It's many, many people <laughs> in, in one uh, small house. After a month or so, sharing this small house with over a dozen people, Olga decided it was time to go again. Her husband, Pavlo, would go off to the Eastern Front to work as a paramedic. But first, he would drive Olga and the kids to somewhere that they could get out of the country. We go to um, Lviv. After Lviv, we, uh, in Lviv, uh, in train, we go to um, uh, Poland in uh, Krakow. In Krakow, uh, say goodbye, <laughs> Pavlo. <laughs> it's yeah. hard. It's it's really really hard. And yeah. Every day, uh, I think about husband, about my family, brother, mom. Oh, yeah. What did he say to the boys? What did Pablo say to the boys when he said goodbye? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, goodbye. I think uh, we come back very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Emily Dugan, you're a senior reporter for The Guardian, and you've been following the UK's response to the refugee crisis, which began when Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February. In the opening days of that crisis, what kind of reaction did we see from countries around the world? Well, in, in all the neighbouring countries and across Europe, um, what you saw was this instant realisation that this was like nothing we'd seen in Europe since the Second World War, really. And then therefore, they opened their borders and said, OK, if you've got a Ukrainian passport, or I think even in some cases, just evidence that you're Ukrainian, they were letting people in. Um, and Britain's response was very different to that. And that is why we in the UK are doing everything we can to help 
economically, politically, diplomatically, military. In the first few days, they didn't really have a plan, in fact. You know, the, the, very, the tiny number of visas that were going through were just for people who had direct relatives, so talking, you know, their own children or their spouse. The UK government stands alone on our continent. Will the Prime Minister join with our European partners and waive all visa requirements for the people of Ukraine who are fleeing war? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, the, the EU already, because of its Schengen border-free zone, has its own uh, arrangements with uh, Ukraine. They differed uh, for a long time from those of the, of the UK. But what we do have is a, uh, a plan, Mr Speaker, uh, to be as generous as we possibly can to the people of Ukraine. There was growing political pressure from across the spectrum that, you know, hang on a minute, you've got millions of people pouring into Poland and then going across Europe. Um, and yet in Britain, we seem to have only accepted a handful you know, what's going on. And so as that pressure built, how did the policy towards Ukrainian refugees then develop? The family scheme was set up. The only thing that did was mean that extended family could come to Britain. Um, So that meant, you know, grandparents, uncles, you know, much wider family could come, but it was still an absolute drop in the ocean. And one quick one, if I may, to you specifically, Prime Minister, on refugees. whether the numbers are still 50 that have come to this country or have gone up a little, uh, it seems like they've only gone up a little. Isn't that embarrassing? We are absolutely determined to uh, be as generous as we possibly can. And uh, as I speak to you all, we're, we're processing thousands. Clearly, so that led to even more pressure, which in turn led to the government announcing its attempt to somewhat widen the criteria for Ukrainian refugees, which gave us the Homes for Ukraine scheme. The scheme will allow Ukrainians with no family ties to the UK to be sponsored by individuals or organisations who can offer them a home. There will be no limit to the number of Ukrainians who can benefit from this scheme. Since then, this is how the majority of people from Ukraine have been coming to the UK. Can you tell me a bit more about that scheme? The Homes for Ukraine scheme was set up as an alternative so that you didn't have to have a relative here. But the bureaucratic hoops that you have to jump through are, are pretty extraordinary and, and very difficult for, for Ukrainians to, to manage out of country. So it's basically, if you can find another British family or a British individual who's willing to host you, then together you fill out some paperwork and you say, OK, we're going to come to Britain. Can you remember what you were thinking when you first saw what was happening in Ukraine? Um, well, I couldn't really believe it. I just think, I couldn't believe that Putin could justify it as a special operation. Um, because it, there was no reason really for him to go in. And it just seemed completely wrong. Today in Focus producer, Josh Kelly and I are talking to Sarah Holiday in her garden in Nether Poppleton, a commuter village on the outskirts of York. It's sunny and we're surrounded by carefully tended flowers. Sarah is married to Rob, who is out playing golf. They're both retired. She's neatly dressed, friendly, and wears earrings made of little blue and yellow flowers. When Putin invaded Ukraine, Sarah wasn't the only one in the village who was horrified at what was happening. Beth, who runs the local community centre, put on a meeting to talk about the new Homes for Ukraine scheme that the government had just launched. And Sarah went along. When I heard 
uh, the speakers, one of whom was a Ukrainian lady who's lived here for 15 years and another lady who was already hosting, I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe we could do that. And so then I asked Rob, you know, what do you think about hosting? And he said, oh, well, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And so then I let Beth know. And then about two days or three days later, she said, oh, we've got a family for you. The family was Olga and her boys, Svetislav, Libomir and Loki. They're active members of the Ukrainian Scouts and one of the people at the Nether Poppleton Community Centre was also in the Scout movement in the UK. So that's how they got matched with Sarah and Rob. Sarah and Rob made contact with Olga and they started the application process, which wasn't easy. Prolonged and difficult, really, I have to say. Um, Filling in lots of forms, repeating the information. The whole time, they had to stay in touch with Olga and the family, getting this document and that one. You had to provide things like the um, birth certificate for the boys and the marriage certificate for Ola and Pavlo and the doctor's residence. Something about the doctor, anyway, this, yeah. And then there were the application forms for the visas, security checks, and then something called... The biometric residence permit. Which sounds hellish. You have to apply online, and it's sort of been farmed out by the government to a private agency. When I was filling them in, it was saying, do not recognise the password, you know. So then I would change, change. it says, says change the password, and then it would say again, do not recognise the password. And I'd be thinking, oh, I don't know what to do. So I, I phoned the people, and this lady said, well, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I can't do anything, and you'll just have to go back on the, on the website again. And I was nearly in tears because I thought, I can't do it. I can't Eventually, after this. talking to a lot of other people on the phone, the family finally got their biometric residence permits. And after, all told, about a month of admin, during which Olga and the boys lived with her mum and everybody else in that small house in Western Ukraine, the visas finally came through. Olga left Pavlo, and she and the boys got on the plane to the UK. Sarah's husband, Rob, drove to Doncaster Airport to meet them. I couldn't go with Rob to meet them because there's the three boys and Lockie has to have a seat. So we couldn't all squeeze in. So Rob just had to go on his own. So it was sad that I couldn't go too. We exchanged photos. So Ola recognised Rob straight away and walked straight over to him. And then when they came, I gave Ola a big hug, but I thought I'd better not hug the boys. You know, they might be a bit disturbed. <laughs> so I'd better not. So I just welcomed them. And it was lovely to meet her. One of the first things that we did think was we could take them to the supermarket and they could choose what they wanted. Um, so the boys um, got pizzas and Cocoa Pops and that's their staple Cocoa Pops. As a Ukrainian refugee on the Homes for Ukraine scheme, Olga is entitled to much more than most other refugees in the UK. Unlike them, she has the right to work if she wants to, and to full benefits. But she also needed help from Rob and Sarah to navigate all of that. It's very good people. Every time help me. Uh, when I, in first time, I don't know anywhere. Um, and I need documents. I need um, a bank, uh, go to bank, uh, open 
card, a job sent. I don't know. Uh, Rob and Sarah, oh, oh, my hand. Go this, go this. <laughs> right, right, okay. Over time, Olga and the kids have settled into a routine with Sarah and Rob. Every week, they meet up with Sarah's friends and a group of other Ukrainian refugees in the area and go for walks in the local forest. Yeah, yeah it's very fun. Uh, I like uh, when we uh, um, walk and talking. It's very nice time. Um, and uh, like um, uh, it's two days ago, we paint uh, together. Yeah, it's driving. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, uh, with Rob, um, sometimes uh, uh, I'm cooking in in kitchen. Uh, yesterday, um, uh, Rob um, make uh, a rum cake with rhubarb. Oh, very nice. Oh, delicious. <laughs> yeah, boys not. Boys uh, don't like <laughs> because it's strange. We uh, we uh, don't uh, watch is. Plant, uh, no, <laughs> it's not banana, it's not uh, a- apple, what is, no. <laughs> yeah, rhubarb. <laughs> we were talking early in the morning. The two older boys, Svetyoslav Libomir, who are 15 and 13 years old, were quiet, shuffling into their shoes and stuffing books into their backpacks. They had their school blazers on and had already customized them a little, Shirt collars flicked up just so, and their ties slightly askew. Olga waved them off before helping Lockie, her youngest son, get ready for the walk to his primary school. He's eight years old and has a huge, cheeky smile. Uh, uh, yes, Lockie's just been telling me he's into SpongeBob, mandarins, crisps, not apples. A man of good taste. I like cucumber. <laughs> yeah, I and like cucumber. cucumber. Oh, okay. Cucumber. Every day on the way to school, Olga and Loki play a game where they're slaying evil creatures. Uh, you start in forest uh, and uh, uh, you go and uh, you uh, looking monsters, looking maybe zombie, maybe uh, vampire. <laughs> and Mom, you need. Not vampire, not. Okay. <laughs> and. and uh, in... In this time, uh, school in Ukraine finish, uh, and uh, children uh, free yeah. <laughs> uh, go to river, go to forest, maybe. And mom, you go. Uh, we won't go to home. <laughs> when we go to home, uh, every day, yeah. Mama, yes. Miss. Um, okay. Mrs. Mrs. for Ukrainian house, friends, yeah. Okay, see we eyes, this is cool. <laughs> this is like the school. <laughs> the school, yeah. Very nice school. Olga says, all things considered, Lockie is doing okay. He gets bored sometimes when he doesn't understand the lessons, but he's young enough not to feel awkward about the language barrier. And his English is coming along pretty quickly. The older two are having a harder time. What about the older two? How how are they settling in? How what do they think? Uh, old boys, it's very difficult 
age <laughs> because uh, one day is uh, come and oh it's very very nice day next day bad because i don't know this i don't know this um, when you don't know language yeah. don't um, can speak it's very difficult Friends, what, what friends, yeah. Um, Sviatko uh, have friends, boys, Oliver, but uh, he say I don't, I cannot long speak. He's um, easy, don't speak, don't speak. Because they're, they're, they're afraid they're not speaking yeah, correctly, yeah. so they just stay quiet. Yeah, difficult, difficult. What are your hopes for the boys in the next few months like what do you hope will ha will happen with them i hope maybe a good speak english in future and the new and the looking new friends in england england uh, children emily you said in the early days that britain was slow to react and far behind Europe in the number of people that we were welcoming. Since this scheme has come into place, have we actually caught up? You just have to look at the figures. I mean, in, in Britain, we've had, I think, around 86,000 people come uh, from Ukraine. And in Germany, which has a kind of relatively similar circumstances to the UK, it's 10 times that, it's 860,000. Um, and then if you look at obviously the much closer neighbouring countries like Poland had 4 million people arrive, obviously not all of those settled, but the scale is just completely different. Um, Britain's response in contrast seems very meagre. We're hearing from Olga and Sarah about their experience and beyond the mind-boggling admin and bureaucracy, their experience of the scheme itself has been reassuringly positive for the most part. Now, Nearly 60,000 people have arrived in the UK under the Homes for Ukraine visa process, which, as you said, is a comparatively small number when you look at other European countries. Emily, what does life look like for the typical person amongst those 60,000? And on the whole, for those who do manage to get here, are the UK schemes working? I mean, it's hard to, it's still very early to say if it's, if it's working brilliantly. But having said that, the really reassuring thing is you've got this overwhelming response from the public. You know, there's an awful lot of goodwill. And and I think on, on the whole, in most cases, um, I, I would imagine it's working. But what we are starting to see um, are cases where that is breaking down. And you've been reporting on some of those cases, the cracks emerging in the scheme. What kinds of things have you been seeing? Yeah, so in some cases, what you're seeing um, are essentially the placements breaking down. And so perhaps a family turns around and says, OK, we'd like to host Ukrainians. And then the reality of a whole family arriving in your home, um, you suddenly realize, oh, maybe you weren't as generous as you first thought. Maybe it's a little bit irritating. Maybe you don't like sharing your bathroom or, you know, all the kind of irritations of having flatmates, I guess. Um, and I think one of the drawbacks in the government having not done the matching themselves and helped people to prepare for this process is that some people just jumped in feet first and have, have ended up leaving Ukrainian families who arrived with them 
in a, in a completely terrible situation where they fled one home and then just a few weeks into arriving at another, um, they're told they're not welcome anymore. And that is what's happened in some cases. You know, I spoke to one family who had, you know, the first week went brilliantly. The family were, the British family were very welcoming. They thought, okay, amazing. We're having this kind of second chance and they had a young toddler. Um, and it became clear as a few weeks went by that that had broken down and instead you had, um, you know, increasingly frosty conversations. And within another week after that, they were just told, I'm sorry, we're going to tell the council we don't want to host you anymore. And so what happens to a family in that situation? Well, it's really difficult. And part of the problem is the government hasn't quite thought through what does happen at that stage. You know, in general, the local authority will, will advise them, okay, if you can present essentially it's homeless, we will try and find you accommodation. I mean, this this one family I spoke to ended up in a travel lodge with, you know, which sound doesn't sound terrible. It's clearly better than being in a war zone. But actually, the kind of practicalities day to day of trying to bring up um, a, a young child in a travel lodge with no kitchen to make them food, with you know, no support around them. Um, it, I think it, it was pretty bleak. And they were fortunately they did go to a charity and managed to match with another family. But there's not. There's not a great deal of central help for what you do in that situation. And what else are you seeing when it comes to the system that isn't vetting or matchmaking host families with refugee families? Well, the other issue, of course, is, you know, people are extremely vulnerable in this situation. Um, And, you know, okay, we're doing DBS checks and we're making sure that there's no obvious criminal record. That doesn't stop there being situations where people are hosting for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, you've had cases of you know, predatory people hosting. You've had cases of um, where it's been clear the motivation is actually the money because, again, families, British hosts are given £350 a month to host. Um, and there are some people who want to take what they can get from that and provide the minimum service and take the money. And do we have any sense of the sort of scale on which these relationships are breaking down? At the start of June, there were already at least 480 Ukrainian families, and those that's families with children, and 180 single adults who had become homeless after coming in on either the family scheme or Homes for Ukraine. Um, and that gives you a sense of, you know, we're only a couple of months into this, and you're already seeing hundreds of people homeless. That says to me, perhaps these policies haven't been as well thought through as they should have been. Now... The government made a conscious decision not to play a matchmaker role here. They said it would be too bureaucratic and that the onus was on individuals and charities and volunteer groups to organise it themselves. Emily, as you've described, that has led to some problems. But at the same time, there have been a lot of people who've stepped up here and given their best despite all of those problems. When you sort of zoom out, How do you think this policy looks three months down the line? For all the chaos that we have seen in terms of the policy and people ending up homeless, that is a small minority. And what you have to remember is you've got thousands of families who are willing to share their home with a Ukrainian family fleeing war. I mean, it is remarkable. And and actually, it's it's, it's a real act of selflessness. You know, most people don't have a great deal of room in their homes. And to say, you know, okay, I'm going to give over what, what space I've got left to... Um, to another family fleeing war is pretty remarkable. And I think it is a wonderful thing to see. And I'm sure lots of people will know in their local schools of of Ukrainian children turning up in the classroom and 
the efforts everybody is making to help them settle in. Um, and I think that does show tell you something um, about yeah the incredible generosity of people and that no matter what government does on a policy, if the opportunity is there to help, that people will step up and help. Coming up, what does the future hold for Olga and her family? What do you miss about home? Yes, yes, I very miss about home and my friend, my family, my uh, Leo. How often do you speak to your husband? Is it every day or? Uh, speak uh, not every day, but uh, um, right. Sometimes uh, um, he say, I go in dangerous territory. I, I cannot uh, write two, three days, uh, and after come back and uh, write, okay, good, don't worry, <laughs> okay. Do you, but you worry, do you worry when he hears? Yes, because I worry, I don't, <laughs> oh, it's uh, very hard, yeah. What, what do you think about when you think about the future? What do you think about and what do you and your husband talk about? I don't know. My future is dark. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Ukrainian winner, uh, they come back and uh, and uh, um, building new life, building new uh, mm, friendly and new country. I don't know, maybe. Uh, when we come come back in home, uh, need to start again. Anyway, I Olga loves her job making cheese. Her ideal future is back on the farm, um, yes, I want but she doesn't know whether it will ever be possible to rebuild that life. For her husband Pavlo, it was so painful to build all of that up over the years, just for it all to crumble overnight. And Olga thinks maybe he won't be ready to go through all of that again. I don't know. Yes, I want to make cheese again, uh, have a new goals. Um, but I don't, maybe my husband don't want. I don't know, maybe. I, I don't uh, I knew my future. <laughs> yeah. Even though she's safe with Sarah and Rob, a family that are taking care of her, a second family, she says. Of course, Olga is suffering. She thinks about her husband all the time, whether he's safe on the front line, their old life, their old home, their future life, the kids, and whether they'll ever settle and make friends here. But as much as possible, she doesn't show it. Olga tries to stay positive. We live very nice. We live um, uh, in big, uh, friendly family. Uh, uh, and uh, I think uh, positive um, 
look for life, it's very good. Where do you find your strength? What keeps you going? Like sometimes would you wake up and think, oh, how do uh, I do this today? Uh, I don't know. Well, sometimes I don't want to uh, wake up <laughs> and oh, school. Oh, but um, uh, it's my job. I mom, I need uh, a positive I need uh, active <laughs> because uh, uh, my boys uh, see me and uh, looking for me, look for me and uh, um, repaired in your life. Because children, it's uh, my mirror. Yeah, your mirror. They need reassurance. Yeah. Yeah. That was Olga Krasowska. Thanks to her and to her family, and to Sarah and Rob. Thanks also to Emily Dugan. You can follow her reporting on the UK's handling of the Ukrainian refugee crisis at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Joshua Kelly and Klitsia Sala. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. 